Thank you. That was beautiful. Good morning again. We are going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're, we're finishing out the chapter today, so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. And in this sermon, um, we're going to talk about helping others know Jesus. And we're, we're going to talk about not just knowing him for the first time, but knowing him and what it means to truly follow him, and what it means to live like him and be like him. And the best way, as we're going to see, for us to teach others to do that is by living a good example. If we're telling people what Jesus is like, who, who he was and who he is, um, how he lived his life, and we're telling them that this is how you should live your life, and yet we're living our life completely different than that, then they're going to be less likely to listen to us if, if we're being hypocrites about it. And as we're talking about helping others to know Jesus and following a good example, um, what better examples do we have in our lives than our mothers? Our mothers who, first of all, they birth us, which in itself, I mean, if that's all they did, that's enough. I've, I've been in the room for two births. And I'm so glad it wasn't me having to do that. (laughs) That was not planned. If you didn't hear that, my son just said, me too. Um, But anyway, and Rose is turning red. Um, but, But mothers do so much more than that. But before we get started and we talk about the great example that we have in mothers, I do, I always want to recognize during times of holiday and celebration, we want to rejoice with those who rejoice, but we also want to mourn with those who mourn. And there are mothers who have lost children. There are children who did not have mothers. And and there are people, Rose and I have a friend that we pray for often, who has, has been trying for a long time to have a child and has been unable. And so I just want to recognize that there are different life situations represented in this room. And so as we get started, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that this morning that we could remember those who it might, this, this holiday might be a difficult day for them. But I also want for us to be able, even in the midst of, of trial and mourning for us to be able to celebrate and rejoice with those who rejoice. So let's, let's pray and ask God to help us in that. Lord, we love you. And we do. We want to be examples for you. And we want to be examples in the good times and in the hard times. Lord, we want to uh, experience the, the power of your resurrection, as verse 10 says, but we also want to share in your sufferings, becoming more like you. And so, Lord, there are people who are rejoicing this morning. There are people who love this day because of what it means for them. But there are also people who are mourning because of what this day means for them. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would bring empathy to those who are rejoicing and, and also to those who are mourning, that we could meet each other where we are and mourn and rejoice together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul starts this, um, he, he's actually, it's a, he's starting a paragraph, but he's continuing with what we've already been talking about. 
And last week we talked about pressing on toward the goal, the upward prize, the upward call of, of knowing Jesus. And, and this week, in continuing in that, he, he had ended last week saying, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's hold firm to what we have attained. And then this week he says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, Paul was an apostle, which means that he had, he had an experience with Jesus. If you, if you remember, if you were here or if you've heard before, Paul's conversion experience, where he was on his way to persecute Christians. And Jesus showed up, and Jesus changed his life. And he had an experience with Jesus. And he learned from Jesus. And I don't know how that happened, but the Bible tells us that he did. And so Paul had a special relationship with God. And so, of course, Paul could say, watch me and do as I do. He said it many, many times, in fact. He said it at least four times that I know of in the New Testament where Paul says, follow my example or do as I do or whatever the case might be. Um, so, of, of course, someone like Paul can say that, but we couldn't say that, could we? Actually, we can. Because this is the model of discipleship that Jesus puts forth in Scripture. If you look at uh, how he lived his life, how Jesus lived his life, he poured into the masses, he would preach to the masses, and then it would get a little smaller. He had a, a people like uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus and many others who he was close to, but they weren't part of his 12 disciples. And then he had his, his 12. But even in that 12, he would do special things with three of them, Peter, James, and John, where like uh, during the transfiguration, they were there, and, and, and they, he would call them out individually to spend time with them. And, and Jesus poured into people. And then when he left, for those who have a relationship with him, he sent the Holy Spirit to fill us, and God dwells in us now and we can live i'm not saying that we have apostolic authority we're not apostles but we are living breathing examples of how jesus has called people to live their lives we can say join in imitating me and look and keep your eyes on those who walk so paul is even saying look toward the example of those who walk according to the example you have in us. And so Paul is saying, I'm going to pour into people, and they are going to follow Jesus, and I want you to look at their example and and watch me, watch them, live like them, and then, <clears throat> sorry, and then others can can watch you and live like you. And so it's this domino effect. Of this person lives like Jesus and shows this person how to do it. And then they show this person how to do it. And then they show this person how to do it. And so he says, brothers, join in imitating me. And for a lot of us in this room, the best example that we've had of Jesus in our life is our mom. Our mothers. We, we look to people who serve when... We don't deserve it, but they, they serve us anyway. We look to people who are willing, at their expense, they're willing to take care of us. 
And how many of us have examples of mothers or grandmothers who put themselves on the back burner in order to serve everyone else? You know, I always think of my grandmother. My grandmother, well, I'm not going to say her age because she might listen to this on the Internet and hurt me. But um, my grandma has an iPhone. And I'm not going to say how old she is, but she ain't 80 anymore. I'll just put it like that. And so uh, my grandmother, still to this day, will not get her plate until all the kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids have gotten their plates. And, and when we get together, there are over 50 of us, and yet she's still the last one to eat. And, of course, we're all trying to get her to eat first, but she just won't do it because that's just her way of serving. And we have that example of people who put others before themselves, and we need to be that example. You know, Paul is saying, join in imitating me as he is imitating who? Yeah, Christ, Jesus. And, and then we are imitating Jesus. We are imitating those who were an example to us. We can all name people who, when we became Christians, we, for better or worse, we lived like they lived because we thought that's what a Christian should live like. Because... It, For a lot of us, we didn't know any better. We just knew what people were showing us. And so my first encouragement to you this morning is, is to be the kind of example that honors Christ. Be the kind of example that others, you can be a person who others can look up to, to learn what it means to be like Jesus. Now, of course, we are not Jesus. We are human beings. And so part of us being examples... Christian examples, is for us to be honest when we fail, when we fall. We need to to be honest and tell people when we have not been like Jesus, when we've been a poor example. And so, you know, um, my mom raised three boys by herself. Okay, so um, she taught me how to shave. No jokes. She taught me, um, like, she would play catch with me and stuff. I mean, I, I was already playing some ball by the time my parents got divorced. But it, she would be out there with me. She she was a nurse. She worked at least 50, 60 hours a week, every week, to provide for us. Uh, my mom has so many great qualities. But my mom's not perfect, right? I don't know about, uh, now, some of you might think you have perfect mothers, so I I shouldn't say anything about that. But none of us are perfect. And so what we have to do is we have to admit our imperfections. We have to confess our sins to God, and we have to confess our sins to our brothers so that they can pray for us, so that we can lift each other up. We need accountability partners. If we don't have people that we can talk to and admit that we're not perfect, then we begin to think we are perfect. And we begin to turn a blind eye to our own sin. And all of us in this room have sins that need to be confessed at different times in our life. Every single one of us, no matter how great the person is in here, we have things that we do that are a poor example. So what do we do about that? If we're to be examples of Jesus, if we're to look at Paul and follow his example, or look at those who set a good example for us and follow their example, what should we do when we fall? What should we do when we're not perfect? The answer is, is that we admit it 
we confess it first to Jesus and then to our brother. And when I say our brother, I just mean the person in our life who saw us fall, who we sinned against, um, whatever the case might be. Um, I am a prideful person. And I'm just going to admit and be honest up here that when I mess up, it's hard for me to admit that I've messed up. Rose, on the other hand, is incredibly willing to admit when, when she has messed up. And it, it's been an example to me, and not just in our marriage, when, when something's happened and she's willing to come to me and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, which it's easy for me to say that when I'm quoting Rose, but when I actually have to say it, a little bit more difficult. But we have to do that. We have to do that. And, but Rose will even do that with our children. If she's done something that, that, you know, as parents, not you guys. I know you guys are perfect parents. But for us, sometimes, you know, we might have an attitude with our children that we shouldn't have or something like that. And even with our children, we have to be able to go and tell them we were not a good example. I'm sorry because this is not how Jesus would want me to act or treat you. And so I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then the people that are looking at us and following our example, they know, right? That first, we shouldn't do what they did. Second, if we mess up or when we mess up, we should go and apologize. And so first thing in this sermon, very first verse, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. The very first thing we see that we are to be examples and keep our eyes on those who are examples for us. And then look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider... I'm sorry, not verse 13, verse 18. I'll get this right in a second. For the example you have in us, for many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul is saying that there are people that you should watch and, and, and follow their example and that we should be examples. But he's also saying that there are people who used to say that they love Jesus, and now they've turned away from him. And we should not follow that example. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, we should be heartbroken when people in our lives, people we know, people we love, people who are part of our families or people who are part of our churches, when they choose to live a life that does not honor Jesus, when they choose to make decisions that put themselves at risk, that put their families and others at risk, we shouldn't just turn an eye to that. First of all, I cannot tell you how many crying mothers have been in my office over the years pleading to God for their children. That their children would follow Jesus. That their children would love Jesus. 
And so as we look at this, what Paul is telling us he does, now even with tears in my eyes, we have great examples of this in mothers who were faithful to their children and continued to pray for their children. Even when everyone else had given up, the mothers are still there praying. And if you're not one of those mothers, then confess your sins, tell them you're sorry, and now be there praying. Recommit to being the type of mother that you know you're supposed to be. But for all of us in here, we are to follow this example that Paul set. We are to follow the example that mothers set, that we are to long for our children, to long for our brothers and sisters in Christ, to long for people who profess him, to live for him. And, and he's in the next verse, he's going to say even more about this. But before we get there, I want us to focus on this. Too often, when people fall into sin, whatever that sin might be, whether it's addiction or lust or pornography or um, whatever the case might be, there's so many sins that I could just list right there. But when they fall into sins and, and they choose to embrace that sin rather than repent, when they, all of us fall. Right? All of us sin. And when we do, if we're Christians, we should confess our sins, repent, which means turn from the sin and back to God, and we should follow God with all of our hearts. But for those who choose not to repent, for those who are confronted with their sins and, and choose to cling to their sins rather than to God, our first instinct shouldn't be, I knew it. I knew that he or she was going to be like that. Our first instinct shouldn't be, well, you're, you, you reap what you sow. You're getting what you deserve. And if we're honest, that's a big problem that, that the world has with the church. Is we eat our own. When people fall into sins, we're not there to love them and to forgive them and to nurse them back to health. We're there to judge them, to point our fingers at them. And tell them what they've done wrong. And there is a place for right judgment. There is a place for that. But we can't divorce judgment and love. We have to have both. And when we love people and they fall into sin, it should bring us to tears. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. When we see people fall into sin, it should cause us to mourn and hurt for them. Not because we're going to be embarrassed by what the community thinks or anything like that. Because we love them and we want them to have a right relationship with God. Because we, we love them and we want for their salvation to be sure. And again, when I say that, when I say our salvation to be sure, here's what I mean by that. Is anybody can say that they are a follower of Jesus. Anybody can say that. But that doesn't mean you are. You have to have a relationship with him. You have to have confessed your sins to him and been forgiven of your sins you have to have that salvation that's by grace it's a gift we can't earn it it's it's by his love and his mercy that he gives us this gift of salvation but if we have been saved then that should change our lives and i'm not saying we we can't fall we can't sin but if we do we repent and so the bible tells us when people refuse to repent 
or when people choose to accept a lifestyle, embrace a lifestyle, whether that's addiction or whatever it might be, when we embrace that and we're not even struggling to follow Jesus, we're not even striving to follow Jesus, or if you, let's, let's forget addiction because that's something that we can, if, if we're not addicts, if we don't feel like we're a drug addict or something like that, then we can point and say, well, that's them, but that's not me, okay? But we all have our sins. Maybe you love money more than you love people. Maybe you just have a temper. Maybe you allow your temper to break relationships in your life. Maybe you have unforgiveness. Who knows what your sin might be or what our different sins might be that we struggle with, but we need to to make sure that when we sin, we confess those things. When people approach us and, and say, this happened, this is your sin, we don't, get, we don't need to get defensive, which I'm guilty of being that way. We don't need to get to defensive. We need to think about what the person has said. And if that's a sin in our life, we need to confess that to God. And we need to apologize to those whom we have offended. And so, not only do we need to be like that, but we need to encourage others to be like that. And when people choose not to repent, when people choose to embrace their sin... It needs to break our hearts because we love that person and we're, we love God. We're jealous for God. But oftentimes, we don't do that. Oftentimes, we pretend like we don't have sin and that the sin that this person is committing is the most horrendous sin that has ever been committed. And we just point fingers at them. We talk about them behind their backs. We do all these other things rather than in love approaching them and trying to tell them that, that we're there for them, we love them, we disapprove of what they're doing, but we're here for them. And we love them. And we want those things to change. And so when Paul says, for many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, where are our tears? And so many, many of us would say, well, I'm just not uh, an emotional person. I'm, I'm very manly. But Paul was pretty manly. Dude was shipwrecked, beaten, snake-bitten, persecuted his whole life after his conversion. And yet, here he is. The Apostle Paul saying, even with tears. If we don't allow ourselves to hurt for people, if we don't allow ourselves to feel pain for people, then we're neglecting a part of Scripture that we're told is healthy, that will help us to want to see them do right, that will remind us to pray for them. When we say, this person has fallen into this sin, let me build this wall so I can pretend like that sin is not happening, and let me cut that person off from my life, and let me do things over here so so I can feel good about myself. How selfish is that? Now, I'm not saying that we should 24-7 dwell on the sins of others and dwell on the people who are not following God, but we shouldn't just completely divorce that from our lives either. And so it is okay for us to feel pain and to feel just love and empathy for people who are experiencing hard times. We need to be there for those people. We need to show them that we love them, but... We need to also 
be honest about where certain attitudes lead. And if we are choosing sin, and that's a pattern in our lives, if we are choosing sin over Jesus, then that is probably evidence that we do not have a relationship with him. Now, if we sin and we feel remorse and we repent and we strive not to give into that sin again, then that's evidence of the Holy Spirit. And that's evidence of, of God in us saying, don't give into that. I want you. Your mind, don't give into that temptation. But if we have come to a point in our lives where we are choosing the sin, and that's our choice, and we don't care about God, we don't care about Jesus, and yeah, I mean, we have this thing in the back of our mind maybe telling us, our conscience tell, telling us, that we should choose Jesus, but we still just choose to sin anyway, and, and that's a pattern in our lives, then there's, there's two options there. Either we ha- have backslidden so much that our heart has become hard and we are far from Jesus in, in our fellowship with him. And, and, and in that case, if, if we truly have a relationship with him, then maybe you're saved. Maybe. But in Scripture... The more common theme is this. If you have fallen into a pattern in your life where you have chosen sin over what you know God says is right and what you know God wants. So, in essence, you're choosing sin over God. Then what Scripture tells us is is that you were probably never a part of him. You were never a Christian in the first place. And we can't ignore that. Why can't we ignore that? Well, let's look at the next verse. For those who walk now as enemies of the cross of Christ, those who have chosen their sin over God, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame when minds set on earthly things. The reason we mourn is because if we are to believe the Bible, hell is a real place. When our lives are over, judgment awaits us. Either we have Jesus and he has covered our sins and we go to be judged in a different way where, where the judgment is looking back over our lives and, and being rewarded for the good that we've done, things like that. Or the judgment is we don't have Jesus and we have to pay for our sins. And the Bible tells us in that case that our, our end is a separation between us and God. Our end is a place called hell. And I don't know exactly what hell is going to be like, but I know that it, if I'm to believe Scripture, it exists. It is terrible because there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I also know that it, it is our end. It's the last page written about us. And of course... If we are to believe Scripture, which I do, then we are to believe that those who have chosen sin over God, those who have chosen not to place their faith in Him, not to put their trust in Him, those who have chosen not to be saved, that their end is destruction. And for those of us who say we have placed our faith in Jesus, has your life changed? Do, are you, is, does your life look more like him today 
than it did when you became a Christian. Because if not, you need to ask yourself some tough questions. And here's why. It's not because doing good things saves us, but if we're saved, we can't help but do good things. If God lives in us, if God dwells in us, according to the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells us when we become Christians, then we cannot help but to live for Him. We cannot help but to do good. And of course there's this battle. Of course we will sin. Of course we will fall. But when we do, we ask for forgiveness and we get back up and we continue to strive to be like Him. We continue to strive to live life for Him. And if, if that's not the case, then their, their end is destruction and their God is their belly. All we have to do is to look around us in society today, and this isn't anything new. This, this could be, Paul is saying it for his culture back then, 2,000 years ago. This isn't anything new, but we can just look for evidence of this around us today in our society where we can see that people don't care about what Scripture says. Even Christians, and people who call themselves Christians, even those people don't really care about what Scripture says. They just care about getting what they want. They care about what's going to make them happy. And, and using you know, an, a language for, for an addict, we would call it a fix. Just getting that, that next high. But look, we're all addicts in some case, in some sense of the word. We all have temptations to, to follow sin and to get that sin because we think that that's going to make us happy. Ultimately, we're trusting things to give us our happiness rather than God to give us our happiness. And when we do that, when we're finding our love, our fulfillment, love is the wrong word probably, but when we're, we're looking for our fulfillment, when we are looking for our, our happiness and our peace in something other than God, then that thing has become our God. Even good things, okay? Like, we went to a baseball game yesterday, and I love baseball. It's my favorite sport, um, despite what all of you probably think. It is a great sport. Um, And I love it. I love watching the Royals play. I love watching John Michael play. So T-ball or major leagues, I love it. But if I'm only finding my fulfillment in baseball, if I'm dedicating myself to baseball, then... Who's my God? We have to be careful. Because when we start giving into our temptations, when we start giving into our sins, and we start allowing those things to be the place where we find our joy, then our God becomes our belly. And what that means is, is that we are just seeking and searching and wanting for whatever satisfies us, whatever makes us full. And that can be dangerous. Because we begin to become people who find our fulfillment in sin rather than God. And if that's the case for us, then we have to ask, are we really a Christian? Is Jesus really our God if we are choosing not to obey him and follow him, but we are choosing these other things? Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They're only thinking temporary. Like, what what will temporarily give me fulfillment? What will temporarily fill my belly? That's what they're thinking about. When they should be remembering, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it 
we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So in closing, what are these last verses saying? That we need to remember when we are tempted to give in to a temporary desire, a fleshly desire, that those things will not give us permanent satisfaction. And we can remember, this also tells us to remember, that our battle is temporary. That if we have Jesus, then there will be a day when we no longer have to battle this fight where we are tempted to give in to sin rather than Jesus. When we are in heaven, there will be no more temptation. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more tears. Those things will be over, the Bible tells us. But that time hasn't come yet. And so what we have to do now is we have to stand firm. We have to be strong. We have to rely on God to give us power to be able to stand up against our temptations so that we can be faithful to him and we can honor him and we can, going back to the beginning, be the examples that we are to be in Christ for other people. We, we have to stand firm and remember that there's, there's relief coming. There is salvation coming. There will be a time when we no longer fight these battles, where we no longer fight these temptations. And this is great news for us. There will be a day when I no longer have to control my mind. There will be a day when I no longer have to worry about addiction. There will be a day where I no longer have to worry about wanting what fulfills me, even if it goes against what God says. There will be a day where he he fulfills all of that, and he completes all of that, and he makes all things right, and he makes all things new. He will give us, according to this passage, he will give us a new body where we don't have those base desires, these ungodly desires anymore. And we get to live for him, and we get to be with him. But that day is not yet here. So we celebrate, we look forward to the fact that that day will come, But we also need to be real and and realize that that day has not yet come. And what does this mean for us? Here's what it means. If you're in here this morning and you have been choosing sin over God, there's one response. There's one biblical response. Repentance. It's asking God to forgive you. And and striving to turn from that sin. And to turn back to God. But you need people in your life to help. There are some sins that we cannot overcome by ourselves. God has given us a need for community. A need for the church. To help us. He has gifted people. To be smart enough to, to know how to advise people who are struggling with certain things. And so your first step is repentance. And your second step is to find the help that you need to make sure that you don't keep giving in to that sin over and over and over again. I'm not saying you won't be tempted. Because the temptation might not end until we're with Jesus. But I'm saying that we need to have people in our lives who can help us to overcome the temptations that we are experiencing. And when we fall, they're there to pick us up. They're there to encourage us. And not to just say, it's okay, um, and dust you off, and then let you fall again. They need to be honest and real with you and tell you that this was not okay. But they're there to love you. And they're they're, going to be there for you. And they're going to speak love to you, but they're going to speak truth to you. We need those people in our lives. So the first step is repentance. The second step is to surround yourself with a person and people in a church who will help you. 
who will hold you accountable. And now let's talk about the church. Our first step is not to point fingers. Our first step is not to throw stones. Who among you is without sin? None of us. Our first step is probably when we find out our first step should be tears. Our first step should be, we're, we love them so much and we're overwhelmed by what they're struggling with and what they're going through. And our love forces us to mourn for them. Our second step in love is to be there for them. You know, even in church discipline, which as the pastor, we will be doing church discipline biblically. And in the way that our church bylaws and constitution say we will be doing that. But more importantly, the way scripture says. But the goal of church discipline, even if it gets to that step, is to bring them to repentance. To bring them back to a right relationship with God. It's not to push them away. It's not to build the wall and separate us from them. It's not to say, hey, look at me. I'm a good Christian, unlike that guy or that gal. Our our goal and our desire when someone comes to us with their sins, or if we see a sin, we need to approach it. We don't need to ignore it. We need to approach it in love and out of love, let that person know, look, I'm here for you. I love you. You let me know whatever I can do, but this is not okay. This is not healthy. This goes against Scripture in this way. And, you know, a lot of times what we are tempted to do is to go tell our Sunday school teacher or go tell our pastor that this is happening. This sin is taking place. That's not the first step. According to Matthew 18, what's the first step? You go by yourself And tell that person that you see what's going on in their life and that it's unhealthy. You go and and you approach that sin. And if it doesn't work then, then Jesus says, go back with another person. And if it doesn't work then, then you take it to the church. But the first step, if you see someone sinning, is for you to go to them. But if you're just going to them to tell them what they're doing wrong, don't go like that. You're going in love because you want them to be right with God. You're going in love because you see that, that they're, if they are followers of Jesus, if, you don't have to approach lost people in their sin. You're approaching people who are claiming to be Christ, like Christ, claiming to be Christians. If you approach them in their sin, then you should do it in love with the desire to see them repent. So, if you're in here this morning and you are a person who is giving in to sin, Repent. Find accountability. Find people to help you with that. If you were in here this morning and you were part of the church and you you don't see a sin in your life that needs to be approached, but you do see the sin in, in your brother's life that needs to be approached, then in humility, in love, in gentleness, these are all words that Scripture uses when in, when defining how we should confront people. In love and in, in, in humility and gentleness, we are to approach people for love's sake, for God's sake, to help them to get right with God. Not because we're embarrassed by them. Not because what they're they're doing is is taboo. But because it goes against what God desires. And it's not healthy for them in the long run. So, in closing, if you're here this morning and you haven't been the example that you need to be. If you're here this morning and you can't tell people Watch how I live my life. 
live like this. If you can't tell people that, then there's something wrong. You need to be able to say that. And so you need to spend some time with God this morning. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and you're the one struggling with a specific sin that you know it has got a strong hold on you. And it is, it, you try to do right, but that sin keeps chasing you. I would love to pray with you this morning. And I want you to find accountability. The temptation is, is I will do this later. But how long have we been saying that? And if, I don't have to explain this to people who are struggling with the type of sin I'm talking about this morning. Because for most of you, if you are a Christian, you have been trying to run from the sin. You have been trying to defeat the sin. And it just keeps pursuing you. And we are not slaves to sin any longer if we are Christians. We don't have to fall to this sin all the time. So this morning, let this be the time when you say, I want help. I'm going to get help no matter what it costs. And if you're in here this morning and you've been a Christian who's quick to judge, but, but slow to listen, slow to love, slow to, to be there for the very people who in the past we have been judging in a, in a negative way, not in a healthy way. But we're here to judge in the sense of this is what the Bible says. I'm a sinner too. Let me be there for you. Let me help you overcome this. And so if you're a Christian in here and you want to, to admit to God, I have been judging in an unhealthy way. I want to do it in a healthy way. I want to be there for people. Then you can determine to make that change this morning. Whatever, however God is convicting you, I'm just going to encourage you to respond to him in whatever way that is. I'll be right down here available to pray with people or if, if whatever you're going through, I want to pray with you. And I'm going to ask even that our deacons would come up to this morning and that our deacons would be up here in case anyone wants a deacon to pray for them. And so we're going to be here to pray for you guys. If you feel more comfortable with someone else, then grab that person. I know, Dan, that you'll have to be leading the music. But uh, if we just want you to respond to God in whatever way he's leading. And this is going to be our close this morning, our invitation. Respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We want to live for you. We want to be like you. We want to do the things that you have called us to do. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, that you would save them this morning, that you would give them a desire for you this morning. Lord, if there is someone in here, if there are people in here who love you but are, and are, are followers of you, but they are experiencing the temptation of addiction or sin or whatever it might be that's pulling at them, then, Lord, I pray that this morning that they would find the courage and the strength to repent and to find help, to find accountability. No matter how little the sin might seem or how big the sin might seem, Lord, I pray that this morning that we would pursue holiness and that we would desire to follow you with all of our hearts. And Lord, lastly, I pray for those of us in here, Lord, who maybe in the past we've struggled with, with gossiping and judging people in a negative way and we haven't been willing to come alongside them and to help them overcome what they're going through. Lord, let those in here who are Christians be the type of Christians that the Bible says that we should be so that we can be examples to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.